Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. So we're looking at Jude. We'll start in verse 20 to get the context of our text this morning. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. We finished up with that last week, so we're going to start in verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God, our savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Father, we just continue in our worship of you and and we just thank you and praise you that we have the, the word of God on our lap. We thank you for this word and we see it being fulfilled. As Jesus said in the last days, it will be as it was in the days of Lot. It will be as it was in the days of Noah. That Israel will become a nation. That Jerusalem will be the capital once more of Israel. That the birth pains will get closer and closer and closer together. Father, we're seeing all of these things taking place. Which shows us and tells us that we're in the last days. And that Jesus is coming back at any moment. So we want to be ready. We want to be waiting for his appearing. Longing to see him face to face. But until then, Father... I pray for the gift of teaching and that every Bible-believing Christian here this morning, listening on CD, watching over the internet, will allow your Holy Spirit to minister to their heart individually. You are a God of intimacy, and you want to work in our lives individually, as well as families, as well as corporately as a body of Christ. So, Father, we uh, surrender this time to you and ask that you will be done. Give me the gift of teaching, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, verse 21, we left off in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Remember, we talked about the faith. It's not your faith, it's the faith. But you have the faith. And we want to be careful that we don't take the Bible as so often as being done now, and we pick and choose what verses we like, or which verses might fit a certain lifestyle, and we say, well, oh, God is okay with that, and I'm in the faith. Well, you want to be very, very careful. Your faith has to line up with the faith, not the other way around. Don't try to get the faith to line up with your lifestyle. It doesn't work that way, and you'll be going against the faith. So we talked about that. You can get the CD in that. Praying in the Holy Spirit. So when you just don't know what else to say, when you're at your wit's end, don't stop praying. Just be quiet. Just be still. And allow the Holy Spirit to intercede. And we went over Romans on that. You can get the CD again. And allow the Holy Spirit to intercede on your behalf. So... We'll jump into verse 21. Keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So now looking back over the the book here, when we are on the lookout for wolves in sheep's clothing, or when we are in fellowship with one another on a regular basis and have to deal with each other's personalities or behaviors, 
We have to be walking in the Spirit, and that takes a personal commitment. That takes a personal commitment. The first word in verse 22 there is keep. Keep. What does that mean in the Greek? It means to guard. To guard. By keeping the eye upon. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Very important. Slow down. Read your Bible. Ask some questions. Pick some things up. Notice it does not say, keep yourselves in the love of man. Oh, I love the pastor. Oh, I love the music. Oh, I love what this is doing. Oh, I love that. You stick around here long enough, I will disappoint you. I'm only human. The church will disappoint you. Something is going to disappoint you. And if you're founding your love in that, you will leave. You'll say, "Ah, I knew it. They're just another human being. If you're looking for a perfect church and you find it, don't join it because you'll mess it up. There is no such thing as a perfect church. Never has been. There never will be. But you and I, we're called to keep, to guard, to keep the eye upon. We're to keep looking at the love of God and not the love of man or a person. Once again, notice there is a personal responsibility in this verse. God will always love us. God will always love us. His love is unchanging and never-ending. So I don't have to be concerned about God loving me. And if you're here today and you don't know that, I want to reassure you right now. Even as an unbeliever, now if you don't have a personal relationship with heaven, you're going to see in the scriptures, you're heading to hell. Just because you think you love God, that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You have to have a personal relationship with God via Jesus. That's John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So even though you might think you love God, if you don't have Jesus as your Savior, that's not going to get you into heaven. You need to have a personal relationship. So, But we are to call to keep our eyes on the love of God. Why? But my heart can grow cold towards others. You see, if I love my wife and I keep my eyes on my wife, and if she keeps her eyes on me and our love is dependent upon each other like it was in our first two years of marriage and it was an absolute disaster, disaster, three, four, five-hour arguments, yelling, screaming, slamming doors, threatening, almost getting divorced on our second anniversary because our eyes were on each other, the love of each other, instead of our eyes being on the love of God. And as we keep our eyes on the love of God, then we realize how much God loves me, even when I'm being a knucklehead. So if God loves me that much, I can turn and surely love somebody else, even when they're being a knucklehead. Because God loves them. I hope you guys realize this. In your workplace, the unbeliever, God loves them just as much as he loves you. Just think about that. For God so loved the world, the homosexual, the adulterer, the drug addict, the murderer, the pedophile, the trans, God loves them, guys. God loves them unconditionally. That doesn't mean they love them. Love him. But they love them. He loves them. And they won't understand the love of God until they come into that relationship that God desires to have with them. You see, we love God. What does the scripture say? We love God because he first loved us. We don't understand love unless we have Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit dwelling within our soul. We don't understand love. We might think we do, but we really don't. 
So I could find myself not seeking after the love of God in my life to bless someone else with the love of God, not the love of Jim. So if you're having any love and you're receiving it from me, that's just a byproduct of my relationship in this direction. If this relationship is this direction is suffering, these relationships will suffer. If you're wondering why your relationships are damaged or being hurt or whatever it might be, now there's free will and it might be the other person's fault. But I'm just saying in general, if you have that situation going on, you want to go, well, how am I doing with God? Do I understand the forgiveness of God? Does God forgive me every day? Why can't I forgive this person? Does God forgive me every day? Yes. Do I understand grace? I just can't show grace to this person. Why not? Does God show grace to you? Yes, but, oh, there's the but. There's no buts. God loves. But again, that doesn't make you a child of God. Be very, very careful. You see, Jesus said that the two greatest commandments are these. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. If we stay focused on how much God loves us, we'll be able to love others through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not within me to love everybody. It's impossible. But with the Holy Spirit, yes. And I'm not saying it's not going to be hard at times. I'm just saying that we will be able to do it. Mercy here is compassion. Mercy here is compassion. And when I went to Uncle Webster's and looked it up, and listen to this definition. Pay attention to this definition. Sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. I'm going to say it again. Listen to the whole thing. See, I could have compassion and go, oh, I have so much compassion for that person, but oh well. So I really really can't say that I have compassion because I'm not trying to help alleviate what they're going through. Well, how do I get that compassion? By realizing how much compassion God has towards us. And when was the last time he relieved me and, 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 and helped me and strengthened me? Uh, I think it was just maybe an hour ago. How about for you? He's constantly there if you want him to be there for you, but it's up to us. So I'm going to read it again. Sympathetic consciousness, so you're aware, you come across someone's path, and all of a sudden you become aware of their situation, of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. You cannot have one with the other. Oh, I just want to help somebody, but I don't have compassion. Well, I have compassion, but I don't want to help them. It doesn't work. you got to have them together. And that's what God, through the Holy Spirit, has for you and I. To show those who don't deserve mercy, mercy. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. You see, when I meditate on how merciful God has been and continues to be merciful to me, as I've shared earlier, I will be able to show mercy to others, which is a huge expression of love. I mean, who doesn't love mercy? We all desire to have expressed to us, but how often do we hold it back from others? You see, Matthew 5, 7 says this, Jesus, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And I believe that mercy is one of the many direct byproducts of what? Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. And then everything else is a byproduct. First and foremost, it's got to be love. 
it reminds me of the love of God. And when I think of the love of God, I can thank Him for the mercy, not giving me what I deserve. Don't ever pray, God, just give me what I deserve. Don't ever pray that. Instead of a vicious cycle of the flesh, it's a blessed cycle of the Spirit. And that is a cycle we all desire to exhibit or have on display as as believers. So as we get ready to wrap up Jude, and yes, we're going to wrap it up this morning, Let's recap what he has written about. He has addressed the problem within the churches in, verse, in church in verses 4 through 16. Then he addressed how to guard yourselves against the problem in verse 17. Then what to look for in the last days, verses 18 and 19. He then exhorted the believers about their own personal walk with the Lord in verses 20 and, 20, 20 and 21, which we just covered. And now we're going to see him address the church as a whole in verse 22 and 23. So verses 22 and 23. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. So now he's exhorting the church how to deal with each other. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. You see, as believers, we need to have compassion and care for those who cross our path within the church towards the believer as well as the unbeliever, because I am sure in this room this morning, I can guarantee this, there's at least one unbeliever in here, if not more. And we're glad you're here, because God loves you, and He desires to have a relationship with you. This is where you're going to find it. But don't forget, we were all unbelievers. So talking to the believer now, we were all unbelievers at one time. And God showed His mercy towards us through someone else's love towards God. Somebody else loved God so much that they wanted you to know about that love. That's for you and I to think about. And in thinking back to those days, I think of for a majority of us, we needed to hear that our, that our need for a Savior through the, the compassion expressed by others was that He loved us. I was raised in a religion where God didn't love me. Well, He did. If I went to church enough, if I gave enough, if I said enough prayers, if I knocked on so many doors, read pamphlets, did this, did that, maybe God would love me. That's not the scriptures. That's not the scriptures at all. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you despise the riches of God's goodness? If you're new to the Bible, when you see it capitalized as speaking of God. Forbearance and long-suffering. Peter even says when he wrote his epistle, one of his epistles he said for God is long-suffering, willing none to perish. That means for none to spend eternity away from God. Now, we know a majority are going to. They choose to not accept Christ. Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. You see, most of us just needed to hear that God loved us just the way we were. He really did accept us and desire to have a personal relationship with us through His one and only Son, Jesus. And there may be someone here this morning, and you need to hear that. You need to hear that God loves you just the way you are. He really does. He really loves you just the way you are. But that doesn't make you a child of God. That doesn't make you a son or his daughter. That just means that God loves you. As He loves a believer, He loves the unbeliever. You need to make that commitment to come to know how much God loves you and understand how much God loves you. Because he does really, really love you. On the other hand, John the Baptist had a ministry of calling for repentance. And he spoke of judgment to come and the eternal punishment of fire. 
hell. John the Baptist spoke of hell. Jesus spoke of hell as well. There is a heaven. If you're here today and you're an unbeliever, there is a heaven. There is a hell. For the believer, keep this in mind, guys. No matter how bad it gets in the next few years, we've seen what's happened in the last three. No matter how bad it gets, for you, believer, this is the closest to hell you're ever going to be. It's the closest to hell you're ever going to be. If you're an unbeliever with us this morning and you've seen what has happened, this is the closest to heaven you're ever going to be. And we're going to go into Revelation. And if you're an unbeliever and you survive or, or you don't go in the rapture, which the believer is going to go in the rapture, you're going to have to survive seven years the wrath of God that has never, ever happened and never, ever will again. And we'll, get it, we'll start that next week. It is literally going to be hell on earth. So you need to make the right decision. And so Jesus spoke of these things that I just mentioned, and there are those who need to hear that they're going to hell. They just need that in their face. You're going to hell. They need to hear the truth in a very bold, direct way. So we need to ask for the gift of discernment via the Holy Spirit. That he would show us which way is the best approach to use with an unbeliever. Which is the best way? You know, just compassion, comfort, sympathy? Or do we need to go headlong and really bold and say, you know what, you're just going to hell. What are you going to do about it? And the Holy Spirit will show you. The Holy Spirit will lead you. He knows the individual. And it says here, having compassion. Having compassion in verse 2. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. Again, it's the same word that we talked about earlier. Have compassion. That sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate. Making a difference. That comes with the idea of those who are having doubts. Maybe they're a believer who has come out of a cult. Not going to ask a show of hands. But maybe you were a believer and you got mixed up into a cult. And you eventually came out of that cult. There are Christian cults out there. Total, Total legalism. We need to have compassion on you, sympathy on you, and mildly and gently wash you in the water of the word. Or maybe you came out of a Christian church that had some cultish practices. That takes place. They had some cultish practices. And so now with compassion, we take you to the word and we show you clearly how we've, seen, how we've been seen by God as believers. Again, it's called discipling or mentoring. And it's vital to gently correct them, helping them to debug the program. Isaiah 118 says this, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. There's more to that verse. You might have it memorized. But I just want to end it there to drive home the point that I'm trying to teach here. Those five words there in the Hebrew, they mean to decide, to judge, to show, to be right. Not that I'm right, that the Bible's right. Marriage is between. One genetic male, one genetic female. That's not my feelings. That's not my theology. That's not my faith. That is the faith. That is the faith. You have an issue with it, you got to take it up with the Bible, the faith. But we want to reason with them. We want to love them and reason with them. Last thing to notice here is Jude mentions hating the garments defiled by the flesh. Notice that at the end of verse 23. Hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Zechariah 3, 1 through 2 says this. Then he, the Holy Spirit, 
to Zechariah, showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. So Satan is not co-equal with God. We've got to make sure we understand this. Satan is a created being. He's an angel. He's a fallen angel, comparable to Michael or Gabriel, but not to God. He's a created being. That when Jesus shows up, the scriptures tell us the, the brightness of the Lord's showing, coming to this earth, battle's over. The battle is over. I think sometimes in Christianity, especially as a young believer, you get this idea that Jesus is coming back with a sword because in Revelation, which we'll get to, has a sword coming out of his mouth. That's the word of God. When you read the rest of the scriptures, it says that when he shows up, the brightness of his glory, the word of his mouth, battle's over. We're not going to be coming back. We're coming back on white horses. but We're not going to have swords to win a battle. The battle's already been won. We're just coming back to show how Jesus is victorious, that no one is going to take care of Jesus, like the Father. Jesus will follow the Holy Spirit. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord has, not, has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is this not the brand plucked from the fire? Now, it might seem a weird scriptures to, to pick, but the brand here is a tool to stir the coals of a fire. So now you and I, we might think of a brand as like cattle or horses, that's not what this brand is. This is a brand, a tool. You've probably seen shows where they got the, you know, a guy is pumping the air into the coals and he's stirring the coals as he puts the, uh, the horseshoe in. Or how do you make a sword through heat? And then by friction, we sharpen one another, the proverb says, and so, we, or so we're to do. This is what this is showing here. So in witnessing, we may have to address certain sins within a person's life to help them see their need for a Savior. And that might stir up certain emotions as you're fanning that and you're, you're saying some things that they don't like. And you see all of a sudden maybe they start to, the, get to turn red or they start to get tense. Maybe you need to back off a little bit, show more compassion. Maybe if you know their personality enough, you go, okay, I'm getting his attention. I'm just going to push it a little bit more. The Holy Spirit will guide you and direct you. You see, because they're on the highway to hell. I knew I was on the highway to hell. I was 17. I was going to church every Sunday, punching the clock. But I knew I was going to hell the way I was living. I knew it. So somebody had to tell me, you know what? You're going to hell. Right upside my face. Bam. Huh. It sounded different out of somebody's mouth than in my brain. Because I didn't want to go to hell. You see, they don't need a believer to listen to their sin, whatever that might be, and play compassionate games with them. They need to hear the word of truth. And sometimes that's a hard truth to proclaim, and it's a hard truth to accept. But it's the truth. So we need to lead them to the truth and allow the Holy Spirit to do the rest. I'm not the Holy Spirit. You're not the Holy Spirit. You don't save anybody. I don't save anybody. We're just tools where God will use us. And when we're dealing with an individual like that, we need to be careful that we don't get so close to the sin or that we become so comfortable with the sin that it appears that we are possibly appearing to condone the sin. And then we might even get caught up into that sin ourselves. So we need to have compassion. We need to have compassion. But we also need to use caution. 
we need to use caution. Be very careful. And guys, this is happening in this fellowship. This is not something in another country, in another land, at another time. This is happening in our culture, and it's happening even within our fellowship. Where you are going to have to choose between the Word of God and your mates. You're going to have to choose between the Word of God and your children or your grandchildren. You're going to have to choose. It's happening right now in this church. Make the right choice because there's truth. There is only one faith. And when you start to compromise on that faith, you'll find yourself going around that you wish a road that you wish you had never gone down. Do not compromise on the faith. Verses 22, uh, 24 and 25. He's now going to wrap it up his letter with a. Uh, I, I, I forgot the first service. Who, help me out. Doxology. That's that technical word. There it is. Doxology. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. What a great way to wrap up his letter with this doxology. And a doxology is basically defined as usually a liturgical expression of praise to God. A liturgical expression of praise to God. Like in Romans 16, 27. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Amen. One more slide there, Barb. There you go. To God alone wise. So here's a doxology in Romans. Be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. How about Ephesians 5, 19? Speaking to one another in hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So looking back over his letter, Jude acknowledges the faithful. He speaks of the apostates. He gave examples of those who had taken the wrong approach towards God. He also reminds the believers of the prophecy that there would be mockers in the last days. After all these things, he expresses now what he had missed. What he had missed. Guys, think about this. What he had missed during all those years being raised with Jesus. If we go back six or seven weeks ago, you'll remember Judas, Jude. Jude is a short form for Judas. Jude was a half-brother of Jesus. How many years? We don't know, but Jude, Judas, lived under Jesus as being his big brother, and he did not know that he was the Son of God. He did not know what he just proclaimed now at the end of this letter. He did not know that. It was just, oh, man, you're, you know what? I'm so sick of you as my older brother. You could never do anything wrong. Can you imagine having an older brother that never does anything wrong? That always pleases dad and mom? I mean, that would drive anybody crazy. But that was Jesus. And that's who Jude was raised under. After all these things, he now expresses, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is full of all wisdom. Jesus is now glorified. Can you imagine? This is your half-brother that, that, that you grew up under. Jesus is not just Lord. He is Lord of Lords. Notice capital L and lowercase l. In that day and even today, you could hear the word Lord. 
lowercase. There is only one Lord. Master. Lord means master. There's only one, and that's Jesus. And king of kings. There are kings today. There are some kings in certain countries where if, they, if they've got their entourage around them and, somebody, and he just decides, you know what? I want that person killed. That's it. They're going to die. But that's lowercase k. Lowercase k. They're limited. There's only one king. And Judah's saying all authority belongs to that king. Not Caesar. Not Caesar. Not Nero. Not, not na- whatever name you want to name in Jude, Jude's time. No, no. My brother. My brother is king of kings and lord of lords. John 5.22 says, For the father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the son. Can you imagine Jude learning this? Matthew 28.18 And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Ephesians 1.19 And what is exceedingly greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. In the heavenly places, far above all principality, and power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, any name that comes into your mind right now, you think is a great name, nothing compared to Jesus. Not only in this age, but also in 2023, in that which is to come. Now with that knowledge, Jude points the believers to the one who is able to keep them from stumbling. Notice here, now in verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, that's New King James, from falling, the King James, listen to this definition, figuratively, without sin. Without sin. Faultless means unblemished. Unblemished. I'm glad we do this. I'm sure you are as well. But every morning when we get up, we look in the mirror And we try to fix the blemishes, whatever those might be. We try to fix them so that when we go out, we look halfway decent. This is the mirror. We need to be looking into the mirror so it might allow the Holy Spirit to fix the blemishes. Because how does the Lord see us? As holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. From heaven to earth, that's how the Lord sees every believer, whether you like it or not. You're holy, you're unblameable. It's wonderful. But from earth to heaven, we make mistakes, don't we? And we have to go and ask for forgiveness. We have blemishes. Now, if the Lord can't keep us from falling, I'd like to ask you, who can? Can your mate keep you from falling? Can your children keep you from falling? Can your career keep you from falling? Can coming to Calvary Chapel keep you from falling? No. No. Now to him, Jude says, to him alone. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to keep you without sin, to keep you unblemished. Who can do that? Jesus. You see, once again, we see a dual responsibility of our Christian walk. God will keep my Christian testimony safe, but I do need to do my part as well. If I subject my flesh to temptations and find myself falling into sin, I can't blame God. In chapter 1 of the letter written by James, our Lord's half-brother, he clearly teaches us that God never tempts anyone with sin. That's impossible. 
I fall into sin when I allow my temptations to develop into lustful desires. But I can know that God will give me a way of escape from the temptations that the enemy places before me if I look it to him. Because Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. This, is, this applies to Jesus as well. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You got that one, Barb? There it is. But God is faithful. Who is faithful? You? I'd like to always say I'm always faithful 100% of the time. That would be a lie. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You see, because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, God sees me as holy from heaven's perspective, and he is wise enough to give me the ability to remain holy while I journey through this life via the Holy Spirit. Let's look at John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We're going to make it through Jude this morning. We may have to stay over a few minutes, but we're going to make it. Because this is really important. This is so vital, these verses right here. Jesus is sharing these with his disciples. I believe he's left the upper room. I wouldn't argue with anybody about this, but I believe he's left the upper room. They're going through the streets. They're going to the Kidron Valley. Well, to get to the Kidron Valley, there was a bridge that went over the Kidron Valley, and it went over from the eastern gate. When they would have let, walked out the eastern gate, they would have turned around and saw the temple. And within the temple, on the doors of the temple, there was uh, engraved on those doors grapevines, branches. And so I believe that Jesus literally stopped at this place before he crossed over the Kidron Valley so that the disciples could literally have a picture of, oh, And even if that's not the case, they would have known this picture because this was commonplace in their day and age. It's not commonplace around here, maybe in other states, but not in Phoenix. So, John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean. How does God see us from heaven to earth? Holy, unblemished, unreprovable, that's it, we're clean. Because of the word which I spoke to you, now he gives us an exhortation for every believer, no matter how old you are, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That's the exhortation for the believer God will prune us if we allow him to do that. He'll shape us and mold us. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me. Notice the action here, guys. And I in him, dual responsibility, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And that's nothing of an eternal value. We can do a lot of things. But this is talking about eternal, Jesus is talking about eternal value here. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out at a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. This is unbelievers. As you weave all the scriptures together, a believer cannot lose their salvation. So this is not God saying, well, you know what? You're not biting close enough. I'm going to cut you off and throw you into the fire. No. This is the unbeliever. 
Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So looking back into Jude. So the question that comes to my mind is, how does he keep us? Well, Ephesians 1.13 says this, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. The word of truth. Young people, be careful what you're listening to. Songs. Be careful what music you're putting into your brain. I was listening to secular music. I haven't listened to secular music for 45 years. Don't need it. Oh, yeah, but it's so good. Well, listen to Christian music, and you'll find out how good God's word is and how good Christian music is. Way better than secular music. Secular music puts thoughts in your minds that don't need to be there as a believer. The gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Well, how is he going to keep us from falling? Luke 11, so I say to you, and it will be given, to, uh, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. You'll find those verses in Matthew, but in Luke, we find this additional verse, Luke 13. If you then, being evil, you earthly fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So this is how he's going to keep us from falling. We ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Throughout the week, throughout the day, whatever the case may be, God, any more your Holy Spirit, any more your Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22. Now he who established you, us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in our hearts as a guarantee. Well, why does he keep us from falling? Why? Why does he even mess with us? Because a Bible-believing Christian is a child of God. 2 Corinthians 6.18, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughter, says the Lord Almighty. 1 John 3.1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And lastly, Romans 8.15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the Holy Spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. That's the most intimate name. One time one person got upset that I used it. They thought I was being sacrilegious. It's not sacrilegious. It's taking nothing away from God. When you go to Israel, you might actually hear children saying, Abba, Abba, to their earthly dad. It's the most intimate form. And so for you and I to actually say, Abba, that's saying Daddy, Daddy. There's that intimate relationship that you and I can have. You see, as God's children, we abide with Jesus and God gives us us more of the Holy Spirit. We're going to make it home to heaven, guys. We're going to make it home. Because He alone is wise. He alone is majestic. He alone is power and authority. You know, as the music team comes up, so why would we look to anyone else why would we look to anyone else? And why would we look to anything else? Guys, this is very, very important for us this morning. Did I talk to Social Security about you guys? Okay. I get confused with, with two services. This is reality. This is reality. There's a lot of socialism happening right now in America, and you might not realize it. If you're of a certain age, the government is giving you Social Security. If you're of a certain age, you have Medicare. If you have have a certain age and you've worked for the government, you have a pension. Everything, everything that you have is dependent upon the government. 
That's not a put down. That's a blessing. That's wonderful. That's great. I've been putting in. I hope I get it. If, if the Lord tarries that long, I don't think it's going to happen. But you have to prepare your heart now. Because what's going to happen when the government comes along and says, you will do this or you will not receive your Social Security benefits? Well, that will never happen. I don't know where you've been the last three years, but you better wake up, old, old saints. You have to determine now, what am I going to do if that happens? What am I going to do if they say, you know what, you no longer have Medicare because you will not get a shot because of the next pandemic that we've been told is already coming, by the way. Oh, they already know one's coming? How did they know that? Because the last one was planned? Now, I'm not mocking or criticizing. I'm not being cruel or any of that. I'm just encouraging, exhorting you, be prepared. It is coming. With a flip of a switch, that's never in all of history ever been able to happen. With a flip of the switch, they can lock you down today. They can lock me down today. I could do nothing with a flip of the switch. They turn off our, our debit. We're done. We're done. They do away with cash. We're done. And we are there. We are that close. So who are you going to look to? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Now, this is uncomfortable. I know this because I see how you guys act when I ask questions like this. But I want you guys to look around right now at each other. Go ahead. Look around. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ, so just look at their ugly face. Just get used to it, okay? <laughs> look around. Guys, right now in this room, before the kids left, there's probably 300. Before the kids left, there was probably 450. You are not alone. When I was at Motorola, there was 8,000 employees in our plant. I only knew 10 or 20 people. So look around you and realize you are around a great cloud of witnesses. You are around a group of people that are willing to take a stand for Christ, to take a stand for the word, that are going to be there for each other when it comes down. Because when it comes down, it's not going to be, well, this is mine and you can't have it. It's going to be, how can I help you? Oh, they locked your account? What can we do for you? How can we help? Oh, you're going to jail? We'll be praying for you. Is there anything that we can take care of while you're in jail? Guys, this is serious. This is real. It's happening in other countries. It'll never come to America. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, not looking unto a political party. I just want to remind you guys, as I reminded you many, many years ago, we had an opportunity to vote for King Ahaz or Queen Jezebel. Trump is not going to save you, okay? Trump is not going to save you. No political party is going to save you. No agenda is going to save you. Jesus is going to save you. Jesus is going to save you. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, in the faith. I am not the faith. My faith is lining up with the faith. And Paul learned how, learned, learned how to have much and how to have nothing. Paul, the apostle, read your scriptures. It says, I learned 
how to have everything and how to have nothing. If he learned that, that means he went through something, right? And we've been through something the last three years. Do you think it's going to be easier the next time? They're going to make it all that much harder. You see, and that's what Jude started his letter off with, our common salvation. Guys, at the end of the day, you know, we're all so different, and we like different food, but there's only so much food that's different. But you know what we have in common? Jesus. And when it all comes down, we're all going to learn that very, very, very rapidly. Who knows Jesus? Who knows Jesus? I got to be around somebody that knows Jesus. Because this is insane. Father, we thank you and praise you for the insanity that's taking place because it makes it totally obvious. It's just so obvious that Satan is behind this. The Antichrist is alive. The deception is taking place. There's a delusion that has come upon this world, not the strong delusion, but there's a delusion that has come upon this world that certain people can save us, certain agendas can save us, certain political parties can save us. No, nothing is going to save us from the great tribulation except knowing Jesus as our Savior. And Father, we thank you for that. For the believer is not appointed under the wrath of God. So fathers, we go out to our mission field this week. We know there's only a certain amount of time left. So use us, Lord, whatever age we are, if we're in high school or junior high or college, if we're in our 70s or 80s, use us for your glory, Father, that we might plant, water, fertilize. Lord, and if it's your will, that we might actually pray with someone to receive Jesus as their Savior in an aisle. You'll do it anywhere. You're just looking for vessels that are ready. So, Lord, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.